Hello and welcome back to Out the Gate, the podcast about sailing and adventure on and around San Francisco Bay. I'm your host, Ben Shaw. And today we have a special family episode in which I'm joined by my wife, Lauren Keene, my children, Nora and Alexandra, and my parents, Sid and Rebecca Shaw. And because we are getting close, uh, well, my wife and my children and I are getting close to shoving off and heading south for Mexico, we have a conversation about that upcoming trip and the boat on which we are going to do it, Dovka, a Hulper Grassi 352, because that boat used to belong to my parents, and they sailed her all over. They sailed her up and down the East Coast, down through the Caribbean, and over to the Mediterranean, where they spent many years. So we talk about the boat, uh, their experiences on her, the strengths and weaknesses of the boat, and what they hope we get from the boat and the experience of our traveling aboard her. So without further ado, let's jump right in. Well, we can have everybody introduce themselves first, and then we can talk a little bit about the history of the boat and future plans for the boat. So why don't you start, Pop? I'm Sidney Shaw, Ben's father. We bought Dovka in November of 1990 and uh, owned her for 30 years before we turned her over to Ben. I'm Rebecca Shaw. That's all I have to say. There you go. I'm Lauren Keene, Ben's wife. Uh... I've had Dovka in my life officially here on the West Coast since, as I remember it, the day before COVID. Lockdown started in 2020 when we splashed her into the water and then everything shut down. Mm -hmm. It's been an adventure ever since. My name is Nora Shaw. How old are you, Nora? I'm eight years old. I mean, nine years old. (laughs) (laughs) Hi, my name is Alexandra Shaw and I'm six years old. Beppy and Pop is what we call my parents. Tell us how you, what you were looking for and how you came across Tufka, which is a Hallberg Rossi 352 from 1985. We were looking for a cruising boat because we thought we wanted to go back to cruising. We had, shortly after we were married, we had bought a 33-foot ferro-cement catch and spent a year cruising the Caribbean and the U.S. East Coast before settling down and having children. So we knew that we wanted to go back to cruising in retirement. And we looked for quite some time for what we, my wife tells me, we didn't look for quite some time. Here she is. We owned a 29-foot Dufour that we used for weekend and vacation sailing in the Chesapeake Bay with another couple. And we had just decided that we were gonna start looking for a cruising boat figuring it would take us a year to two years to find one. And we went to the Annapolis Sailboat Show, and we saw a brand-new Hallberg Rassi 36. And we thought it was lovely, but it was definitely out of our price range. We knew of the Hallberg Rassi boats because there was a 352, uh, which was the only one Hallberg we had ever seen, uh, docked right next to us at our marina. And the broker said, oh, if you're interested in Hallberg there's a 352 that's following the boat show, and it's come down from Connecticut, and I'll let you take it from there. 
So it was on the other side of the creek from the Annapolis Boat Show, and uh, the broker took us over. And uh, it was a beautiful boat, very lightly used. It had been owned by a gentleman that lived in New York or Connecticut, member of the New York Yacht Club, and I think he paid a skipper to take it up to Maine every year for the New York Yacht Club cruise, and the, the sails were almost... Uh, unused, probably motored all the way up and back, and the, I don't think the stove had ever been lit, so it was a cream puff of a boat. We thought very seriously about it, went out to dinner that night with some friends who uh, half-jokingly said, if you don't buy it, I will. And the next day, we took uh, Ben and his brother John out of school and went to take another look at the boat, and as a family, we decided this was the boat for us, so we bought it. I don't think it made the impression on me that this was going to be the boat because we looked at a number of different boats. But she certainly quickly became the boat that we spent most family time on together. And then it wasn't until my brother John and I left the house that you guys took off cruising. How did you think about that? How did you prepare for that in terms of us thinking about our own preparation and going off cruising? I always say we solve the problem of being empty nesters and missing our children by getting our younger son into college and going to parents' weekend and saying bye and taking off for the Caribbean. It wasn't really that simple, but we had, in the time that we owned her from 90 to 95, gone up to New England to explore and then we went to Bermuda to see if we still liked offshore sailing, and we decided we still really did. Well, in 95, after Parents Weekend with John, we uh, took off for the Caribbean and uh, spent that winter season in, in the Caribbean, got down uh, as far as Grenada, and we came back for Ben's graduation from Oberlin, summer of 96, and then took off again the following fall and spent another season in the Caribbean and and went to Venezuela and back up and decided that we really wanted to go someplace with a little better food and a little more culture, so why not uh, take the boat and sail to Europe? I don't want to go blow by blow here because you guys had so many so many wonderful years aboard Dufkus, but you sailed her over to Europe, spent how many seasons in the Mediterranean? Well, we crossed in 2000. And, uh, and and until 2008, so it, it, essentially eight years, eight seasons in the in the Mediterranean. We'd come home in the winter time and lay the boat up in the winter and sail in the summers. And, and then we, you shipped her back. We ran out of Mediterranean. We got as far as Israel <laughs> and turned around, and and then we shipped it back aboard a ship. Yes, and then spent a few more years going up and down the East Coast, down to the Caribbean. When, when it came back on the ship, it uh, came back to Fort Lauderdale, so we left it for the winter, and then we took it to the Bahamas for a season and sailed it back to Chesapeake. I know Nora here has been itching to talk a little bit. What questions do you have for Beppy and Pop about all the time they spent sailing aboard Dovka? How long have you had the boat? Well, we've had the boat since 1990, until 2019, December 2019, your daddy bought the boat and shipped it from the East Coast to San Francisco. By truck. What do you remember about Dovka arriving in Berkeley? 
I remember when she came that I liked the um, mask because it had been taken off and it was wrapped in a bunch of um, bubble wrap and I liked to pop all of them. <laughs> and then dad was like, no, you can't not pop all of them because they are keeping the masks safe and if you pop all of them, then the mask will not be safe anymore. <laughs> and now the mast is safely back aboard. Alexander, you're going to soon be living aboard this boat that Beppy and Pop spent a lot of time on. What do you want to know about it? Where did you sleep? We slept in the aft cabin, just as your parents sleep. That was our bedroom. Guests slept in the forepeak, which is your bedroom now. Also yeah. known as the V-berth. That's right. I have one more question. Where did you get the boat? The boat was built in Sweden, but it was then sent to the United States, and somebody bought it and had it, and we bought it in Annapolis, Maryland. And I have one fact to share about Dufka, and that is she's the only Hallberg Rossi in the world that has green stripes. That we know of, yes. How did she get her green stripe? That is so great. We did not paint her green. She was green when we bought her. Our understanding was that the previous owner was concerned that it might, because it's not a boat that's very well known in the United States, it's very well known in Europe, but that previous owner was concerned that people might think of it as another kind of American boat that wasn't really, it was a production boat that wasn't really a very high quality boat that had a blue stripe. So he made it green so people would not think it was that boat. Interesting. I do have to say that it made us unique in the Mediterranean and people would say, oh, you're the green Halberg Rassi. We've heard of you. Did the boat live up to what you had hoped she would um, in all your years cruising? What would you change about her? Uh, by and large, she was a good sea boat and very comfortable. And also, I think for what's called a 35-foot boat, but she was only 34 foot 7 overall, uh, an amazing amount of room and comfort. It's difficult to find another boat of that the size. The beam is what? 11 foot 2, I yeah. think. She had one Achilles heel, well, two, I guess. One, she didn't back terribly well. And so in the Mediterranean, we always went bow two. The full keel. Well, it's a modified full keel. Modified right? full keel. But that but, makes it you know, a little difficult it had to back. Prop walk, and it was supposed to go to port, but then when you thought and compensated for it going to port, it would go to, back to starboard. <laughs> but anyway. Keep you on your toes. And, and, and typically, the, the European boats carry a passerelle or a gangplank that they put down to go off the stern, and we didn't want to schlep one of those around, so it just worked out better. Plus, it gives you more privacy. People aren't looking into your boat. So that was one. But the biggest Achilles heels, we had opening ports, and the ports are in the hull, and with time, they had plastic hinges that where the plasticizer would go out, and then they, the hinge would get brittle and break. Uh, we had two incidents. One, when we were in the Caribbean, when we heard a crash, and uh, only later did we find out that it was the porthole had been stove in. And the next morning, we found 
fish scales around the broken porthole and later found, when we went to replace it, found some little teeth, which we sent to the Smithsonian, and they assured us that it was about a four-foot barracuda. It had been a full moon, and there must have been a reflection off the porthole, and the barracuda struck at it and just took the porthole out. Another time we were sailing in Greece, and we were hard on the wind on a starboard tack and heard a noise, so I went down and opened the door to the head, and there was met with a wall of water coming in through the porthole, and a wave had hit the port and broken the hinges and taken the porthole out. So we immediately came about on the other tack and pumped and pumped and pumped and <laughs> dried out the boat. So uh, those were the two weak links, I think. But other than that, she was a wonderful boat and treated us well. Well, I haven't been able to do anything about the backing, but I have replaced all the uh, opening portholes. So hopefully we'll get fewer problems there. Lauren, I'm curious what questions you might have for my parents or thoughts you might have about moving aboard this boat. I know you've never lived aboard a boat for an extended amount of time. Mostly what I've been thinking about is what it's going to be like to be on board with our family. Um, we've done some really fun adventures together as a family, but we've never done one quite as extended or adventurous as this one may, may end up being. And we've been thinking about it for a long time. And I'm excited to see what our family dynamic is like on the boat and what, what fun habits and systems and games we create and what it's like to teach children on the boat, both, you know, with formally, we're excited to do math and reading and all the fun things for first and fourth grade. And we're, but we're also excited to learn in all the ways that you learn through life that aren't about books and classrooms and just getting curious about things together and getting to experience that together with my daughters I'm really I'm really excited about that so I think a lot about that mostly I just think it's going to be really different from our life here and I don't yet know how and that feels like a big question mark and a big mystery and a and a great adventure I hope that it's something that we look back on and and have it be hard to imagine you know not having that time of our life Mom actually said this um, last night. There are these um, word problems in school that I've had um, since kindergarten probably that are usually every year there's one about cookies and lemonade or something. And it always makes you so hungry. And so Mom said basically on the boat we have to bring a lot of cookies because every word problem we have with cookies we can eat cookies. Alexander, and you had something you wanted to add. How are we going to do school? Well, that is a big question. And I know your mom was talking a little bit about it, but she's put a lot of thought into it. There's lots of different ways that we can do it. Our whole back room basically is filled with stuff for the boat, and most of that stuff is for school. A lot of it is for school. One of the things that the girls are most excited about bringing is a dissection kit. What do you girls think we might be using that for? Well, at um, summer camp, I found um, a dead bird on the on the beach, and Mama bought a kid not for living animals, like killing animals and bringing them on the boat, but like for finding dead animals and bringing them on the boat and dissecting them. 
So that basically means if there's a dead fish, we can dissect it. We just find animals that are dead already, and we can dissect them. That kind of will be science, but also we have astronomy, I think, for science. And then we have a lot of fun math games to play on the boat. Oh, and then a bunch of fun writing things. I looked at the curriculum, and they're like writing jokes and riddles, how-to books, writing your own fairy tales, just a bunch of fun stuff. And then reading, you just read a book for an hour and then talk about what you read, so like a reading club. Yeah, we'll do plenty of reading. Oh, and also um, foundations. There's a lot of fun games. Is that for math? Phonics. Phonics. Oh, that's exciting. Do you think you girls will keep journals? Yes, I think we'll definitely keep a log. Maybe we'll each have a little log, and we can also write things in, like, diaries to keep. We'll probably use at least, like, two. Girls, we talked a lot about the things that you're excited about. I can hear it in your voice. Are there things that you're sad about or worried about? I'm really worried about the boat sinking a little bit. I don't know why. It's just, but I feel a little bit safer because we have our life jackets and we have the, the, the life raft. Do you want to tell listeners about what you recently did with your life jacket to make you feel a little more comfortable? In the pool, we, we tested out our life jackets and they worked. And Mama and Dad taught us all about what to do and stuff like that. So basically, you jump in the water, and I kind of like felt like it wasn't inflating when I was underwater. And then suddenly, I felt something <laughs> explode in my chest, and then on the other side, and I was like, <gasps> and and then something popped over my head, like like well, I guess I had to reach for it and pull it over my head. But it was um, kind of scary at first, but it's better than drowning. So let me ask you, Nora, what are you, you've had some mixed feelings about the trip. So do you want to talk about those at all? Yeah, I'm sad about leaving my friends and everyone else in the world. That is sad to leave my friends. I'm sad about leaving my whole school behind. I'm sad about leaving my best friend, Natalie. She's been my best friend since kindergarten, basically. Well, I guess our si- her sister and my sister, Alexandra, were um, both in the same preschool classes together. So that's how Natalie and I kind of met. And then in first grade, we had like this little pod. And I had no idea we were going to sail then, but... So, Beppy and Pop, you never took us out of school to go sailing. We did lots of sailing when we were kids. But you met a lot of other cruising kids. What advice do you have from the other families you met? I've always said that every child I've met who was cruising, whether it was for six months, a year, or five years, these kids were so much more well-adjusted and happy than most of the than, kids. Than your own children. Well, maybe not my own children. <laughs> Touche. Um, but they they were able to get along with adults. They were able to make friends quickly with other kids. I think there are a lot more people sailing with children now than there were when we were sailing, but we still met a lot of people with 
children. And we were always sad that we couldn't do that. It's something we thought we would love to do with you guys, but it just didn't work out. We, because of commitments and business and stuff, we never were able to do it. Yeah. Living in another country, having any kind of experience outside of the normal life that most of us live is really valuable for children. Lauren, this has been a dream of mine for a long time before I met you, before I even could envision having children. Do you remember when I first talked to you about going off sailing with a family? Mm, I don't remember it specifically, but I remember that it's been something that we've talked about for a very long time and something that I didn't, I didn't grow up sailing. I, I grew up here in San Francisco, but sailing was for me and my family something that was not, no one we knew did it was just it was not part of our world and it wasn't something that felt accessible to me and I uh it took me a long time to understand even what it would mean to you kept calling it going cruising and I associated that with like fast cars (laughs) (laughs) so I still I still don't really call it that in my mind I think of it as we're going on an adventure on a sailboat that's my own way of interpreting it you know I've I've been learning about it for many years and I don't, I still have a lot to learn. Um, and I'm curious how it's going to go for our family, but I don't, uh, you know, I think my own evolution of it has been stop and go also. Yeah, there were definitely a bunch of years where I thought, well, if I just ignore this, it will go away. <laughs> and then there was a point where I realized, okay, this is not going away. I better see if I can get on board. <laughs> and I'm on board. I know you might be thinking, how are we going to speak to people in Mexico? We're basically going to learn Spanish. And that might take a little while, but it takes a little while to get to Mexico. And I've already learned a couple words in Spanish. What are you worried about, Ben? What am I worried about? That's a great question. I was actually talking to somebody today and saying... On the precipice of this actually happening, it's been something that I've thought about and dreamed about for so long. There's definitely a fear that it won't live up to my hopes and my dreams. There's also the fear that now it's beginning, that it's going to be over soon. I hope that I enjoy it as much as I I have in the past and that my family enjoys it as much as I have and that it's a meaningful experience, just like you said, Lauren that it's a meaningful experience for us that we'll look back on and really be glad that we had. So Daddy just turned 50, and that's a big deal. That is a big deal. And you know what? That's one of the reasons that we're going on this trip now. What else have we talked about? Anything? Well, one of the things that talking about your expectations and the children's expectations and your trepidations, when we took off in 1971... We had spent 14 months working on the boat. We had just gotten married. We worked during the week, and we spent every weekend and every moment working on our little 33 homemade 33-foot ferro cement catch, which had been made in New Zealand and sailed from New Zealand, so we knew it was seaworthy. And I had never sailed offshore before. I really learned to sail on that boat, and we took off... We went down the waterway, and we went ashore, and when we got to the Virgin Islands, 
It was like, okay, wow, we've done it. We did this ocean passage. We're here. And there was a tremendous letdown, a sense of, oh, wow, now what? Because one of the things that your father had impressed upon me was you don't make grand plans. You don't say, oops, we're leaving tomorrow and we're sailing around the world. You'd take it step by step to see what works for you. And it was an interesting uh, letdown for a period until we said, okay, now we're cruising. And we spent the season going down the Windward and Leeward Islands uh, and then coming back. And when we got back, we, your father had taken a leave of absence from his business and we said, well, we need another six months leave of absence because we weren't ready to finish. So we went on up to New England. But there are ups and downs. And you have been working so hard on the boat for three years. And there's been so much preparation and stress getting out of the house and getting everything together that initially, I believe, there's going to be a lot of settling in time, figuring out how to make the boat your home, how to have everybody be a part of the whole life as you are in your home. It's not like you're going to move on the boat and wow, isn't this a great adventure? And the other thing I always think of when we say adventure, and I use the word too, is John Kretschmer who says, an adventure is when you haven't planned enough. Right. It's definitely an overused word. I don't know what other word to use though, because it is an adventure. But I, I do believe that there will be a real period, a breaking in period, and you will have your ups and your downs. I also think that it's really important not to almost do what we did when we went down the waterway and, and, and went to the Virgin Islands, is the cruising starts as soon as you get on the boat. Just going along the California coast will be a fabulous experience. Yeah. And if that's all you do, that's fabulous. Right. If you get to Mexico, great. Yep, one step at a time. I was interested in Lauren's comment about cruising, and it's so natural to us that I don't think about that. But really, it's a lifestyle. It's not It's not the sailing elements. It's all sorts of elements, but it's the people you meet is are more important than the places you go and the things you see. And, and I think back to my experience, I had virtually no experience sailing. I had sailed small boats on the Potomac River and the lake I lived on outside of Washington, D.C. And I had a friend who was from India and was a radio astronomer at Caltech who asked me if he, he had a desire to sail around the world and had a job waiting for him in Australia. And I was in graduate school in California, and he asked me if I wanted to sail to Australia with him and you know, planted the seed. And it sounded more interesting than continuing for a Ph.D., and it's had such an impact that simple question, do you want to sail to Australia with me, changed my life, changed my wife's life, changed my children's life, and now my grandchildren, all because Brad said, do you want to sail to Australia? And I've often said that cruising is, is like a virus. It may <clears throat> lay dormant for years and then come back to life. You know, I thought I had gotten it out of my system by sailing to Australia, and I met Rebecca, and she said, well, you've done it. I want to go cruising before we have children. So that's what we did. And then we had children and we continued cruising. So I think it's just invaluable for children particularly to have 
a perspective outside of the mainstream. I just think it's such an enormous privilege that we even get to contemplate doing something like this. And we don't know. I I, I didn't know anyone who even got to think about some doing something like this growing up. And, you know, you kids have talked a little bit about how you're the only ones you know who whose family wouldn't think about taking them off on a sailing adventure. So there's this deep sense of, of, of how special this opportunity is and what a privilege it is that we are even about to, we hope be able to go on this trip. And, um, and also a sense of being in at least our community and, and, and only this is not, um, you know, this is not something that uh, a lot of our family's friends are doing and there's an excitement about that and there's also I think a, a sense of trepidation with doing something differently. I don't know if you've already heard this but um, Alexandra she wrote a really beautiful poem about Dufka on Dufka.com. You can go to Dufka.com it's just basically a website that talks about our family and it has a couple things. Good, good note to end on. The people can follow our journey at dovka.com. Anybody else? Bon voyage. Well, thank you. Thank you very much. Thank you, thank you, thank you for listening. That's it for this week's show. I hope you enjoyed it. As Nora pointed out there, you can follow along with our journey at dovka.com. As always, if you want to reach out to me, you can do so at outthegatesailing at gmail.com or find us on Instagram at outthegatesailing and also Dovka has an Instagram at sbdovka. Any number of ways to find and follow us. Thanks for listening. As always, smooth sailing.